for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. In as well. Okay, we continue our series in James, uh, Living Well. Living Well, that's God's purpose. Living Well, uh, working out life together, and we come to part four which is making faith work. I'm going to dig straight into part of the chapter here. I'm going to do it very deliberately, and we're going to read it. I wonder what your reaction is when you read it, uh, how you feel about it. Uh, So James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have any works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and they shudder. Foolish man. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. And so the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, if you're anything like me, I read that passage numerous times as a Christian and came under condemnation. Don't know about you, but I began to wonder... Have I done enough? And the enough that I have done, what, is, what does that look like? How do I measure that? And I have sat with people in their last days, people who've been Christians, who've had a good faith, and I have sat with them in the last days. I've sat them with them as they are dying. And I have had them say this, Richard, I don't know whether I've done enough. Richard, I don't know whether I've done enough. Why do they ask such questions? And I think it is because we haven't understood this particular chapter, as I didn't understand it for many, many years. So let's just do a recap here. Let's just recap what James is doing As we've read this particular book, we've noticed that he's writing to the church. He's writing to to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's, he's, He's standing with them as the family of God, as those who have the same kind of faith that he does. And he mentions that actually at the beginning of chapter 2. My brothers, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, we share this one faith. We share it together. We, Jesus possesses us and we possess him. 
But he writes to them out of great concern, and he's concerned that somehow they are missing something. They're not living as they should be. They have suffered persecution, something that wasn't expected. As we said right at the beginning of this series, they had an over-realized eschatology. Basically, that means they brought too much of the future into the present. So they were looking for everything to be all right now for all the people of God. And it wasn't. It wasn't what they'd expected. Suddenly they had been dispossessed of their homes. They had fled and they were on the run and they had settled somewhere else. And it's like, God, where are you in all of this? Because they didn't understand this now and not yet of the kingdom of God, this this present situation when the kingdom has come and is coming but is yet to come, because they didn't understand that, they, they struggled with their trials, the difficulties of life, and we heard about that. And when you struggle with your trials and you don't get God's perspective on it and you fail to get his wisdom in it, you become prone to temptation. So that's how chapter 1 goes. They become prone to temptation. They start uh, finding the easy way out, which is following the route of temptation and sin. And as a result, they begin living like the rest of the world. And this is James's big concern. Guys, you're my brothers and sisters. You have the same faith as I have. But you're not living as God intends to live. And some of what we've been singing this morning is, is about that, that God has got a whole lot more for us, brothers and sisters, in Jesus, than what we've got at the present, where we're living at right now. And so he, he writes to them and he reminds them that God is sovereign. He reminds them that God is, is so willing to listen to them and give them the wisdom that they need for their trial so that, so that they don't fall prey to temptation and living the way of the world. And because they had lost sight of God, their, their faith had become inward, it had become introverted, and they were no longer the public witness that God had intended them to be. And in actual fact, they were prizing things more of the world than of the Christian life. They were looking at those who got the big flashy cars and they said, yeah, you know, let's really honor them and make a place for them. Instead of recognizing the grace of God given to all people, rich or poor. And so you come to this particular chapter and we we heard uh, about this royal law of love, which is the gospel law, the law of liberty whereby we live according to the Spirit and we we fulfill the law as we live out God's purposes, as we listen to Him, as we engage with His Spirit in our lives and we learn how to overcome those things that are happening. And you come to this particular chapter here and we've, we've done just what we frequently do here, read it out of context. So suddenly we come to chapter 2, verse 14, we dive straight in there and we start reading it disconnected from the rest of the book. And when we do that, we make it mean something completely different. Something completely different. So he's no longer talking about the fact that they have real faith, but they're not outworking their faith. Now it's that they might not be doing enough to suggest that they have real faith in the first place. And that's not what it's about at all. So that's a brief recap as we begin to, to move into this Uh, particular chapter. So, the gospel. I think as we move into this chapter, we need to remind ourselves of what the gospel is. Just to understand that works had nothing to our salvation. Works had nothing to us getting to heaven. That we are saved by grace, God's amazing love in Jesus Christ, 
Saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we're going to see on the screen right now some scriptures, and I'd like us to to read most of them together. One of them is going to be a long one, so I'll read that one when we come to it. Okay, let's read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Does it say anything about works in that verse? No. What, did it, what does it say? Believe. Believe. Let's move on to the next scripture. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is there anything about works in that verse? No. What does it say? Believe. Believe. Say it again. What does it say? Believe. Believe. You know, one of the things we were hearing about yesterday was the need to speak about our faith and to speak out our faith and to confess our faith. And it's good to do that, not only to say it in our minds, but to speak it out with our lips. Let's move on to the next scripture. Now I'll read this one out because it's a long one and it's a little bit complicated in places. But this sums up what the gospel is. This is so he says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means a sacrifice that atones for our sins by his blood. To be received by what? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is, say this together, justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we are justified, we are made right with God by faith apart from any works of the law. Next scripture. Let's read this together. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Who are these people it's been addressed to? The ungodly. And what have they got to do? Trust. Trust. Okay, trust. So it's trust him who justifies the ungodly. Next scripture. Let's read, read this together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Wow, that's, that's powerful, isn't it? When you put those scriptures together, when you see them together like that. Next one. Let's read this together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there one more? Yes. Let's read this one. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Wow. That's tremendous, isn't it? When we look at these scriptures, we discover it's nothing to do with works. It is everything to do with Jesus, and it is everything to do with believing in him and what he has done. We'll move on to the next slide. Thank you. So, the good news then, it's by grace alone, it is through faith alone, and it is in Christ alone. That is the wonder of the gospel. 
You know, it's when you go to the shop and you see the offers, you, 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 you are looking very often to see what, the, what, the, what, the, what they're not saying to you up front. You know, what is the small print? You, you look down at the bottom of the page and you, you read it in this tiny little print that you can hardly read at all. And you realize that it's not such a free offer after all. And we sometimes do that with the gospel. Well, there must be something that we've got to do somewhere. Let's have a look. Have we missed something? And the answer is no. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there are no catches to this gospel. And we need to understand that before we get into this chapter. Because if we don't, we'll read it the wrong way. And that's what I did for many years, and that's what so many people do. Okay, let's move on. So the gospel is good news. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's say this together. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Once more, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Wow. No wonder it says that God has blessed us in heavenly places in Christ with every spiritual gift. That's the truth of God's word, isn't it? You might not feel like it at the moment, but it is written, brothers and sisters. It's written that because of Jesus, because of what he has done, you are blessed this morning beyond your imagination with everything necessary for life and for godliness. Hallelujah. With every spiritual gift. Shall we move on? Thank you. So, let's come back to James. So, we've settled in our mind that the gospel is simply by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Without any works. Without any works. The thief on the cross didn't have a chance to do anything. And yet Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's the glory of the gospel, brothers and sisters. It's Jesus only. Jesus ever, Jesus all the time is what we used to sing years ago. So as you look at this chapter, you think, well, okay, what's going on here? Well, what we need to do is reconnect it with the rest of the book. Don't read it separately. And what has James been doing? He's been writing to them and he's been affirming their faith. In fact, he's affirmed that they have been born again of the word of God, that they have the word within them, as it says in chapter 1. He affirms in chapter 2 that uh, they're holding on to the faith uh, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. There's no sense here that he's talking about somebody who might not be saved. Now, you might have a version of the Bible that says something like, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? Sometimes translators put words in to try and help us understand Sometimes they haven't always got it correct. And literally it is, can faith save him? He's not questioning their faith. What he's saying is, can this faith do what's needed at this moment in time? And in actual fact, if we reconnect it with what's gone before, he's talked about the royal law, he's talked about the fact that they are, they're behaving in the wrong way, he's talked about the royal law, he's, he's talked about, verse 12 of that chapter, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. He's actually talking about not heaven, he's talking about this life. He's talking about the fact that, guys... 
Brothers and sisters, if we do not walk according to the will of God, the nature of things is that we will experience things that are contrary to God's will in our lives. In other words, measures of judgment. Yeah? In other words, you you can't just sin and get away with it. In some way or other, even though we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we have a home in heaven, the government of God goes on. You can see that in Corinthians and so on. So he's writing to them, he's saying, guys, this kind of faith, you see, we need to under, I think there's another one coming up here, can we, let's go there. Yeah, they weren't living the gospel, that's that's what this this book is about, they weren't living the faith that they had. Can we go on to the next one? Words. Who loves words? Yeah. You know, when I was at school, I hated words. English was my, probably one of my, you know, down there subjects. I was into the creative stuff and English, like, you know, reading books. Did you ever have to, did you have to do that? Do they still do that? We have to read so many books in a year. And we used to have, have to do a review of the book and we have to give it to the teacher and then they would mark it and so on. You know, I, I, I didn't like it. It wasn't my theme. Actually, it was the baptism of the Spirit that changed it all for me. You know, that it's kind of God, God kind of got me in that way. But words are very important, aren't they? And we need to understand that. So as we come to this particular book. So, how many of you know anything about Humpty Dumpty? Yeah? Do you know where I'm going? Do you know where I'm going, Alice through the looking glass? When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone... It means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be be master, that's all. You see, when we read a book, we need to understand how an author uses a word. When I did my course a few years ago, one of the things that was drilled into us, when you use a word, and some of these big words that you have to use in some courses, it said, when you use a word, tell the people you're writing to how you are using that word. Because some words in different contexts can mean something else or mean something different to somebody else. Yeah? Are you with me? And so we need to understand that with regard to James. He uses words in a different way to what Paul does. Whereas if we read the word save, we immediately go to the gospel. And in actual fact, James is using it in the everyday life sense. God is in the business of saving us day by day by day. Those temptations that you're facing, those trials, those difficulties that you're encountering, God wants to save you in them and from them. That's the context of it. So when you read those words there, you've got save, you've got justify. Again, how does James use that word? When we think of that word, we immediately jump to Paul. He justifies the ungodly through faith in Jesus. So we think, ah, yeah, that must be how James is using it. No, it's not. James is using it, if you look at the illustrations, he's using it in an entirely different way. He is using it in the sense that they are shown to be justified. So when he refers to Abraham a little bit later on, and he talks about him, so let's just read that particular verse, shall we? In verse 21, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. And we look at that and we think, Oh, yeah, okay. But we need to revisit the story. That particular verse refers to something years later, 
than when Abraham was originally justified. So we jump to the first encounter, and then we say, oh, well, Abraham was adding works so that actually he became fully justified. No, it's not read that way. So we need to understand that, that James uses the word justified in a different context. And actually he's talking so much not about being justified before God, but how we live justified lives before the world. In other words, where our faith is shown and people say, ah, yeah, I can see you're a Christian. You don't just, you know, do the talk, you walk the walk as well. That's what James is talking about. You see, the guys and girls that James was writing to had stopped walking the walk, but they could still do talk the talk. And he's saying, come on, guys, this isn't right. You know, the world looks at you and says, you're Christians, you say you have faith in Jesus, and yet you're, you're hiding away, you're not meeting the needs of the poor, etc., etc. He said, come on. He's calling them up, listen to this, not to proper faith, but a lively faith. Is calling them up to a lively faith. One of the things I've, I've loved over the years is, is, is to be involved in taking teams somewhere on mission. And I think it's a good example of what James is on about. Where you, and particularly when you've got young people, but it doesn't have to be young people, and you take them on mission. And, and to begin with, they are full of doubt. You know, they're, they're uncertain about doing it. They're uncertain about raising the money. And, and you say, look, you know, sometimes we say, well, the church will provide so much, and, but you must believe God for that. You know, and, and, and so you set them that task of, of beginning to prove God, of beginning to exercise their faith, of engaging with God and proving the promises of God. And they see God supply their need. And then you, you take them on mission and it's like they're fearful about where they're going and what they're doing. But as you go through this and as you, you watch them, you, you, you see something beginning to change within them because suddenly faith is coming alive. It's like, Suddenly they're, they're, they're connecting this stuff that they believe with a very real life ministry circumstance. And suddenly as they begin to believe God, as they tentatively perhaps get up and they share a testimony or share something from Scripture or whatever, you suddenly see something birthed in them. It wasn't that it wasn't there in the first place. It's actually suddenly faith finds an expression. This is what James is talking about. He's not talking about the fact that they don't have faith. He's talking about the fact, come on, guys, you've got the faith. What are you doing hiding it away? What are you doing keeping it to yourself? What are you doing? And so his whole call is them for them to give life to their faith. And just to, again, I, I haven't got time to go into all the chapter here. But right at the end of the chapter, verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I think that that proves they have faith in the first place. Because he says, he relates it to the body. He says, you've got a body, but when, it hasn't got a, when the spirit's not alive, it's dead. He says, likewise, he says it comes to faith. You've got real faith, but, so he's corresponding that to the body, but... When it's not active, it is useless. And that's how we need to understand the term dead in reference to James. He's not saying that it doesn't exist, there is no faith at all. He's actually saying the faith you have, brothers and sisters, at this moment in time is useless. It's not benefiting anybody. And so he's calling up to a living, dynamic faith, if we can go on to the next slide, I think. So words, faith. He's calling up to a faith that works. 
a faith that works is not calling up to faith and works, okay, as two parallel things. He's calling up to a faith that works. And that puts a whole different perspective on this chapter, doesn't it? It reads in a different way. So you see how we must take into account the context of the chapter. And I've scribbled out in my Bible the the separation that they have made between verses 13 and 14 and put a title in there, Faith and Works. I've crossed that one out. Because it, it feeds in my mind it's faith and works, not a faith that works. And it disconnects it from what went before. So he's been writing to them about their behavior. He's been writing to them about the fact that they have been neglecting the poor, etc. And so you have there, don't you, in verse 26 of chapter 1, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, then, then his religion is useless. The same concept. And he deceives himself. He has a real faith, but it's actually useless. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look, out, look, look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here we have what I find is an amazing book, an amazing chapter, where suddenly he's, he's bringing this whole thing to them. He's saying, guys, my brothers and sisters, I know you have the same faith that I have. I, I know that life is difficult, but... Please understand this, that God is sovereign. I I know that in the face of these things, there's a a human tendency to retreat into ourselves and to hide away, but he's saying, look, guys, that won't do you or anybody else any good. He's saying, look, recognize this. You, You have a very real faith, and you need to give life to that faith. Next slide, please. So the call is to energize your faith. How's your faith this morning? Firstly, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Do you know him? It's great. <laughs> One yes. <laughs> do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Yes. yes. If you don't know him this morning, God is here to save you. You're not here by accident. You're here because God loves you and he has a way of working in our lives of getting us to the place where we can hear about Jesus. And God wants to save you. And as you've heard a little bit earlier on, you don't have to do anything about it. Absolutely nothing. And the reason for that is everything is done. Jesus did it all. He came and he took on flesh And he lived here in the midst of all this stuff for us, for you, for me. He died bearing the weight of our sin. He paid the price that was due us for our sin. He came and stood in your stead and my stead. And he bore all that's bad about you and all that's bad about me and he bore it on that cross. And God judged it in his perfect son Jesus. And because Jesus was absolutely pure, the grave couldn't keep him. That's the glory of the resurrection, brothers and sisters. Because if there was anything wrong with Jesus, he would still be in the grave today. But he's not. Hallelujah. He's alive. 
Yes. He's, he's ascended into heaven. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And he can save you and he can save me. Completely. And all we need to do is just believe the good news. Say, Jesus, I know that I've messed up my life. I, I am wrong in every way. And I know that you died to save me. Please forgive me. Please. Come and rescue this life. And do you know it can be the most faltering of prayers and it can be done in a moment. Hallelujah. You know, if you don't know him this morning and God is speaking to you, speak to someone before you go out. It's great that just the other week someone sat through a meeting where we weren't necessarily preaching the gospel and he came to Christ at the end of the meeting. You know, wonderful. If you're a Christian this morning and you've been reading this chapter and you're thinking, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. You will never, ever, ever, ever do enough. Ever. And it's not about you doing enough or me doing enough. It's always about, as I've said to people in their dying days, I said, it's whether he's done enough. That is my assurance. That will be my assurance on my deathbed. Not how well I have performed as a Christian, but how well he has lived and died and risen again. That is all. And I want to assure you, if you know him and are struggling in your faith, the one thing that the devil wants to do is make you question your faith. The scripture says, James says, look, I know brothers and sisters, you hold hold on to this glorious faith. What you need to do is get reconnected. What you need to do is start adding stuff so that your faith comes alive again. And so I want to challenge, as I come to a close this morning, I want to challenge you as you go out into this week. Maybe you've gotten into a very personal way of living your faith. Begin to ask God for things that will cause you to step out. It might be just beginning to witness to someone in the workplace. And you haven't had the courage to do so. But God, by his spirit, can empower you to do so. It might be just ministering to a practical need. You know, perhaps you've been like, to, you've been like this chapter here, and where it talks about the person who goes and says to the, 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 the person who hasn't got any food and, and drink and no clothes, you know, it's like, God bless you. What good's that? And he's saying, look, do something. Do something. You know, put your faith into practice. And you know, the, the thing is, when you start doing that, you get stories, don't you? That's where testimonies come from. When you start reaching out beyond yourself and you think, God, I, I can't do this. Yeah, quite right. There are times, you know, frequently, you know, people look at leaders and think, we, sometimes you, you've got it all together and you can do it. And oh, yeah. No, we're not like that. You know, one of the things, just listening to the guy from Holy Trinity yesterday, he's saying, you know, I, I'm broken. And I need God day by day. And I, I need God in ministry. I can stand up here and, and feel nervous. But, you know, when you begin to step out and you begin to trust God and you begin to speak that word, you begin to, to meet that need, suddenly faith rises. There's encouragement. Suddenly there's life. Where previously it was useless and it was not benefiting either you very much or anybody else, suddenly it comes alive. You feel better. And not only that, others are being touched by that faith. Wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful. So, there you are this week. 
as you go out into it. Begin to trust God and look to God for places where you can begin to bring your faith out of the closet, as it were. To begin to activate your faith and meet a need, a situation that is beyond you. We've been singing it earlier on. You know that, that song there uh, from the Wren Collective that we sang earlier about, you know, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world because we carry the message of Jesus. Yes. And it's about giving life to this wonderful message and going out there and doing the stuff. Let's just pray, shall we? Oh, Father God, we, we bless you. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you. Oh, Lord Jesus, you came and you took on all that was wrong about us and you paid the price for all our sin. We bless you that you're alive today, you're seated on heaven's throne and you've given the gift of your Holy Spirit. Oh, we thank you for this amazing gospel. Lord, you've done it all. Absolutely. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Lord, forgive us that we so often hide our light under a bushel. Forgive us that so often we allow the issues of life to crowd you out and crowd our faith and witness out. Lord, as we read this passage, help us to reconnect with you again and to give life to our faith, Lord, so that it's not only of benefit to us, but it's a benefit to those we come into contact with. Lord, make us world changers, we pray. Oh, Lord, whatever our circumstances, whatever our weakness, make us world changers through the power of your Spirit as we engage with you in the realities of this life. In Jesus' name, amen.